to mind quite a variety of scenarios to, to a lot of different people. So the scenario that I'm imagining when I hear the expression, watch your mouth, is as such. It's Thanksgiving dinner. You're over at a grandma's house. She's a very feisty, spunky grandma. There's also at the table a very modern, smart aleck, um, bratty teenager. The grandma begins to boldly express her political views at the table. After all, this is her house, so she can say whatever she wants to, right? The bratty teenager pipes up and says, you know what, I don't see it that way. I think you're wrong. Your views are, are too narrow. Your views are too restrictive. To which the grandma sternly responds, boy, you better watch your mouth. Now that's not exactly the scenario that is at play in Paul's letter here uh, in Ephesians. But the message is essentially the same. He's writing to the saints. This is from verse number 1 of chapter 1. He's writing to the saints at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And what he's telling them is what the grandma told the bratty teenager. Watch your mouth. And that's the lesson that Paul would be telling us today in the 21st century. Regardless of the time, regardless of the place, Christians should watch their mouths. Let's look firstly tonight at the situation. Paul, Paul's instruction here does not appear just randomly um, um, in his epistle, but it arises after he's given us much uh, much already things that have been talked about, much energy, much time, much ink's already been exhausted. And a lot of Paul's letters, a lot of Paul's letters, you could divide them into two broad categories, uh, each letter. You could, the first half of the letter, generally speaking, deals with theology, deals with doctrine, deals with beliefs. And then the second half of the letter uh, of the Paul's writings deals with practices, deals with uh, behaviors that come from what, 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 you, what you believe. And so a lot of times in the first half of the letter, Paul's telling his audience, hey, this is who you are as a Christian. You're called, you're saved, you're chosen, you're redeemed. This is who you are. And then in the second half of the letter, Paul says, therefore, since this is what you are, this, since this is who you are, this is how you need to start acting. Right, so 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 that 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 lesson is important. He doesn't start with the behavior first. He starts with this is who you are as Christians. You know, you're the children of God. You're adopted into the family of God, and then he says, "This is how you need to act. This is how Christians act." And we could put it very simply as, "You are Christian." That's the first half of the letter, and then now you need to act like you're a Christian. And we can see this division in the letter to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now notice the pattern. At the very, at, as the letter gets started, Paul says, as I've already quoted this verse, verse number one, to, he's writing to Christians, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul tells him in verse number three, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So Paul tells them, I'm going to tell you about spiritual blessings that you have 
that are available to you because you are a Christian, because you are, you're a Christian. So let me tell you what that is. In chapter 1, verse number 4, Paul talks about uh, election, that because we're in Christ, we are the elect of God. And, and I'm just going to give a few samples here tonight. You could give more. And in chapter 1, verse number 5, he talks about adoption. That that's a spiritual blessing, that, that we were you know, kind of orphans, we were ostracized from the family of God, and now we've been adopted in. So we're not orphans in the family of God, but we're all the brothers and sisters in Christ and all the children of God through Christ. Another spiritual blessing, verse number 7, is that we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. He also goes on and says, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? That one of the blessings we have in Christ is we've been forgiven of our sins. Chapter, 13, verse num- uh, chapter 1, verse number 13 says that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's another spiritual blessing as Christians, that we have been stamped with the Holy Spirit. We've been, that's the guarantee that God's going to keep working in our lives until the day of redemption. Chapter 2, verse number 5, Paul had been talking about that they were dead in trespasses and sins, and now that we're in Christ, guess what? We're alive, right? That we're not dead, but we have been made spiritually alive. In chapter 2, verse number 8, he talks about salvation. By grace, you have been saved through faith. I mean, just think about all the spiritual blessings that we have if we are Christians. Paul's just telling us what, we, what it means to be a Christian. We're adopted. We're redeemed. We're, we have spiritual life. We're, we're saved. And as I already said, I mean, you could just make it a, a, almost a countless list if you just read the New Testament of all that we have as Christians. But that's the first part of Paul's letter. It's important to see this tonight. You know, as we as we go through this tonight, that before Paul gets to, hey, Christians, watch your mouth, he's telling us what it means to be a Christian, right? That we are Christians, that we are saved. But if you turn to chapter 4 of Ephesians, and I'm trying to give a quick summary of, of the book of Ephesians. If you turn to chapter 4, you'll notice he shifts. So he's been talking about theology, he's been talking about doctrine, what it means to be a Christian, and now he starts talking about what it means to act like a Christian and, and the behavior that is expected of the people of God. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says that, that I beseech you that you should walk worthy of the vocation, walk worthy. Notice that language. That you should start acting like the Christian that the, uh, by the name that you've been called. In chapter 4, verse number 17, he goes on again. He says, This I say, therefore, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles. Well, why shouldn't we walk as other Gentiles? Because we're Christians, right? Because we are redeemed. Because we are forgiven. Because we are adopted into the family of God. Paul says, therefore, because of all that, you should not be walking as the Gentiles walk. You should not be walking as, if I could put it like this, the heathens walk. Those that do not know God. There is a clear distinction between Christians and non-Christians. That if we have been saved, we start walking and living differently. And then right before the passage that we read tonight, Paul gives this great metaphor of changing garments. And Paul says that, that as Christians, we ought to be putting off the old man and we ought to be putting on the new man, right? That there's been a lot of, of things that we used to be associated with that we should put off, 
That we should not live like that anymore, the former sinful behaviors that we had. But we don't just emphasize the negative, but Paul also goes on and says we need to put on righteousness and holiness, and, and that's how we need to be, to be living as well. And then right before, right before the verse that I read tonight, Paul in verse number 25 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, because you are Christians, because you are saved, because you're in the family of God, Paul says this is how you need to act. Verse 25, he talks about lying. He says you need to put away lying. Verse number 26, he talks about anger. He says, he says be, be angry and sin not, that Christians, we should not have a sinful type of anger. Verse number 28, he talks about stealing. Then that steal should, should steal no more, but they should find themselves an honorable work. And then we get to verse number 29, right? Then we get to verse number 29 where Paul says, watch your mouths. So we've talked about you're a Christian. This isn't just talking to, to random people that he wrote a letter to. He's talking to Christians. And what Paul is saying is we need to stop speaking as we used to speak. And then we need to start speaking in a certain, certain way. So that's the background of this command. So let's get in secondly of the specifics. Paul gives us some specific aspects of this command. And I think you'll notice if you look in verse number 29 that there is both a positive and there is a negative aspect to what he says. See, it's a lot it's easy when we talk about watching your mouth or behavior to so much emphasize the negative of what we shouldn't do that sometimes we can forget the positive of what we should be doing. And Paul's command to watch our mouth has that negative. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So there should be some things we don't say. But then he also says that we ought to, but, but that which is good to the use of edifying. So there is a certain way that we ought to be, to be talking. And so let, let's get into this. What does, what does this mean when Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth? The word corrupt here basically has the idea of rotten. Okay, rotten. So he's not talking about bad breath. Um, I might be guilty of that. Just kidding. Okay, rotten. This is the same word that Jesus used when he starts talking about agriculture. Have you ever heard this before, Jesus, where he says, even so every good tree, what kind of fruit does it bring forth? Good fruits, but then he says, but every corrupt tree, that's the same word, corrupt tree, a rotten tree, it brings forth evil fruit. And that's the idea that Paul has when he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. He says, don't let any rotten communication come out of your mouth. Don't let any words that are no good come out of your mouth. Don't let any words that are harmful and unwholesome and dangerous. Now, obviously, this is a broad category, right? When he says no corrupt communication, I mean, we go around the room tonight, pass a mic, and all of us could come up with an example of rotten language or rotten talk. But So let's boil it down tonight. What does it mean when Paul says no corrupt communication? In the surrounding context, he gives us some fitting examples that would qualify 
as corrupt communication. If you look at verse number 25, I've already mentioned this one. He says, wherefore, putting away lying. Is lying a corrupt communication? Right? And so Christians, we ought to be people of the truth. Okay? We ought to be people of the truth when it comes to the Word of God. Okay? So we, we believe and behave in accordance with the, this truth, but also truthfulness in our day-to-day conversation. And, and again, you know, that, that's, that can be tough because how many knows it's easy sometimes to say a white lie, to make ourselves feel better and all that. But we need to be people of the truth. That as the people of God, we put away lying. Another example that qualifies as corrupt communication from Paul, if you look in verse number 31 of chapter 4, he says, put away evil speaking, which... Other translations put this, slander. What does it mean to slander? What it means to slander is to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or injure his or her reputation. Okay, We ought to put away, not just lying, Okay, yes of course, but let's put away slander. That we're not intentionally trying to tear the people of God down by spreading false information, right? Or by spreading unconfirmed information. And we could put this in with the, with, the, with the cousin of slander known as gossip, right? Where we got to be careful that we're not spreading information that is destroying the unity of the body of Christ. And so when Paul says, let's, let's no, no corrupt communication, let no rot communication, Let's think of lying, but let's also think of slander. That we're not trying to tear down our brothers and sisters in Christ. A third example is clamor. Verse number 31. Well, what does it mean to clamor? It's defined as shouting. As people shouting back and forth in a quarrel. So whenever I'm trying to parent my son, right? I need to be careful that I'm not just yelling at him. You know, i got to be careful. I have to take that into consideration. That as the people of God, as Christians, we need to guard the words that come out of our mouth. We need to watch our mouth. A fourth example, in chapter 5, verse 4, he says that we ought not to be engaged in foolish talking. Which, another way we could say that is silly talk. Now, again... None of us in here are perfect. This encompasses all of us because I know I do my fair share of silly talk, okay? But we got to be careful, right? We got to be careful that we are not so engaged in, in, in our conversation about frivolous matters, about things that aren't of eternal value. The fifth thing that he mentions, the fifth thing I want to give is, is he says in, in chapter four, in chapter five, verse four, jesting, jesting, which other translations put it crude joking. It's a type of talk that involves vulgar expressions and indecent content. And Paul says that we ought to let no corrupt communication come out of our mouths. And so no lying, no slander, no clamor, no foolish talking, no jesting. How many knows this gets us all? Okay, Because it's easy whenever we think of this command to kind of think of the, the maybe the loud speakers, the, the ones that sin loudly with their mouths. 
But how many knows that you can sin in this regard just as much with quiet talk, right? By, by, by picking up the phone and calling so-and-so, hey, did you hear about this? Listen, we need to make sure we apply this to our lives and so that we're living as, God's, as God desires for us. And I want you to notice the scope. Does Paul say, all right, most of the time, I don't want corrupt communication coming out of your mouth. I read an important word there that says, let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. Okay, Let's make sure we hold that standard, friend, that as the people of God, we watch our mouth. So that's the negative. But then Paul doesn't just say, okay, the negative, but he also gives us the positive. He also tells us there are some things that should be coming out of the Christian's mouth. And he says this, he says, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now Paul identifies here, I think, two aspects of our speech that are positive. Number one, he desires speech that builds up. Speech that builds up. That's what edifying means. He says, good, beneficial for the use of edifying. Let our words as the people of God not tear people down, but lift people up. There's an example of this, I think, from from the book of Job. Toward the beginning of the book of Job, Job's friends, uh, one of the Job's friends starts talking to him, and I guess he's trying to comfort Job a little bit, but he says, Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Notice this. Thy words... Okay, thy words have upheld him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. Thy words have that much power. Can we say that about our words, friend? Are our words words that build up? Okay, Paul goes on in verse 32 of chapter 4 to talk about kindness. That's a, that's a type of communication that builds up. I don't know if you've ever experienced somebody that tells you something kind, and man, it can just lift your spirits. Well, let, let's engage in kind conversation. What about another thing he mentions is, is tenderheartedness or compassion. Man, there is something powerful about somebody that is compassionate with the words that they use. That lifts people up. That doesn't tear people down. What about forgiveness? He mentions forgiveness there. How, are, we, are we engaged in forgiveness with the words that we Use, friend. Let's make sure that as we think about watching our mouth tonight, that we're not just thinking about, well, I'm going to stop doing this, but let's also add the positive and say, you know what, I'm going to make a concerted effort that throughout the week I'm going to encourage the people of God. I'm going to build them up because I know they need it. Because I know I need it, right? I, I need your help, and I'm assuming that you need my help as well. And in that way, the church of God is, is built up, friend. Let's make sure we, we engage properly there. So speech, what, what, what is positive speech that Paul wants? Speech that builds up, speech that, that lifts up. But also, secondly, it's, it's speech that blesses. Because he says that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, there's an example of this from the life of Jesus. In, in Luke chapter 4, there were some that, that witnessed Jesus speaking there in the synagogue of Capernaum. And this is what, it's, what Luke says. It says, so they all bore witness to him, and they marveled, notice this, at the gracious words 
the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Friend, let it, may, let it be said of us that our words build up, but also that our words bless, that our words are filled with grace. Our words are filled with compassion, with kindness. Amen? So that, that, that's, the, that's the specifics of, of, of the command. Okay, there's that negative. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Are we going to be committed to that tonight, friends? Let's be committed to that. But let's make sure we're committed to the positive as well. Finally, the seriousness of watching your mouth. It might be easy to brush this off by saying, well, this is, you know, this is kind of important, but it's not as important as other of the commands of Scripture. You know, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the important stuff, and I'm emphasizing that, I'm focusing on that. This right here, it's not really that important. Or we might brush it off by saying, well, you know, you don't really know my family history, my genetics predispose me to being this way, or whatever the excuse might be. But there are three reasons why we need to take this command very seriously, why it's serious business. And the first is, the first reason for the seriousness of this command is that our speech is addressed by other people in the New Testament. It would be one thing if the Apostle Paul here was an island by himself. If like this was the only place in the New Testament where our speech is dealt with. If it was just Paul, we could explain it away and say, you know, maybe Paul kind of went on a tangent. He, you know, he, was, he was being persecuted, so his mind wasn't working right, or, or whatever it might be. But throughout the New Testament, there's other examples of, of men and authors who talk about our speech and talk about our, our tongue. The, the classic example would be James. Okay? James devotes significant space to talking about the tongue and how we ought, as, as the people of God, to attempt to tame our tongue, to control our speech, to control the words that come out of our mouth. James said that, that out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. He talked about those that we bless God and then we turn around and we curse our brothers and sisters in Christ. And James said, my brethren, these things ought not to be the case. This ought not to be the case that we have this two, two ways of speaking where we're praising God, worshiping God, and then tearing other people down. James says that ought not to be the case. So we know this is a serious command because this isn't the only place in the Bible where, where this is mentioned in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus himself also talked about the tongue, right? And if anybody's going to have authority for our life, it ought to be the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus added an insightful detail about the tongue, and that's the second reason why this is serious, is that our speech, it's not just mere words. Okay, It would be easy to say, well, that was just me, you know, being angry or, or, or you know, slandering somebody. You know, just mere words. But Jesus says that our speech is a reflection of the heart. I'm sure you've heard this before, Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaketh. Okay? So it's not just that was mere perverted talk. It's that that is coming out of the heart and revealing the most central aspect of our life, which is the heart, friend. And so why should we take this serious? Why should we be serious about, about our, our mouth? Why should we watch our mouth? But because we know that the words that we use, our speech, the, the, the kind of way that we talk, 
is a reflection, okay? It is a reflection of the status of our heart. Which leads to the third, the third reason why this is a serious, why this is serious business. And that is our speech can grieve the Holy Spirit. If you turn the verse, verse 29 talks about, watch your mouth. Verse 30, the very next verse says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now what does it mean to grieve here? To grieve, I mean this is just amazing to think about that, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. But it means to be, to be made sad. To be made sorrowful. To be distressed is the idea of this word. And so how can we grieve the Holy Spirit? What does Paul mean there? I think in the larger context, Paul has been talking about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And so what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit, I believe here, it is when we resist His efforts to change us into the person He desires us to be. And so we grieve the Holy Spirit when we are a thief and we continue to be a thief. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we were a fornicator and we continue to be a fornicator. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we were a sinner with our mouths and we continue to be a sinner with our mouths. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit both ways. Through sins of commission, Okay, so, so, so where we are, we are we're not thanking God and where we're not uh, letting other people have the gracious words that come from our mouth. But we can also grieve the Holy Spirit okay, but by slandering. Think about that, how serious this is. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by, by lying. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can sadden God Himself by the words that come out of our mouth. And so as I, as I study this sermon tonight and as I preach it tonight, don't think that, well, you know, this is just a, diff- a matter of personality or, or something that we can brush aside, friend. This is serious. And I'm taking this serious in my own life, and I pray we all do as well because this is a command of God. And the words that we say can grieve the Spirit. If Katrina would come to the music tonight. By this point... You might be angry with me. Just kidding. Or you might be feeling a little bummed out. Because I know that I can feel bummed out as I think about this. Why am I bummed out sometimes? Because I know I fall short. Okay? And that we fall short in this area, okay? Not excusing it at all, but it shouldn't surprise us if we're readers of Scripture. Because James chapter 3 told us this. James chapter 3 said that no man can tame the tongue. Think about that. But we can tame, James said, we can tame all sorts of of animals and sea creatures. But there's one thing that we do not have the ability in and of ourselves to tame. And that is the tongue. And so you might be wondering tonight as, as Katrina begins to play, is there any hope? Where's the good news? You know, you're, you're leaving me feeling condemned. You're leaving me feeling condemned, you know, because of this issue. The good news is this. As we make the effort, listen carefully, as we make the effort tomorrow over the coming weeks to watch our mouth, 
as we watch our own mouth, let's not forget to watch the mouth of Jesus. You might say, well, that's kind of weird. What do you mean by that? Two things. Number one, Jesus offers forgiveness for the sins of the mouth. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them. So when we, when, when we, when we, uh, when we mess up, when we, when we sin with our mouth, let's remember that Jesus forgives the sins of all types, but He also forgives the sins that we commit with our mouth. And so tomorrow, if you blow it, guess what? Jesus died for the sin that you committed with your mouth. And so don't wallow in misery and say, well, I guess I'm always consigned to having a bad tongue, or I'm always consigned to anger or slander or gossip or whatever it might be. No, friend, remember the cross of Jesus Christ, that He died for the sins that we might commit with fornication and adultery, but He also died for the sins that we commit with our mouth. And that is such good news. But the second thing is this. So not just forgiveness for our sins, which is amazing in of itself, but Jesus tells us that progress is possible. In another context, he said this. He says that with men, it is impossible. And so if you tomorrow were going to try to go out by yourself and say, I can conquer this by myself, I can tell you that you will not be successful. But that's not the end of what Jesus said. For he said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God... All things are possible. And so as we prepare to come find a place to pray soon, and we go out you know, and, and try to live our lives, let's remember those two things, amen, that I'm going to try to watch my mouth. Yes, I'm going to try to watch my mouth. But let's keep watching the mouth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who tells us that He will forgive us if we come to Him repentant for the sins that we commit with our mouth. But He also tells us that I can make real progress in this area of my life. And I want to close with that, friend, that you can make progress in this area of your life. Not by yourself, but with Him. Amen? For with God, all things are possible. Amen. How many is going to watch your mouth the coming week, coming, coming days? Amen. Why don't we find a place to pray and let's just talk to the Lord. Let's make that commitment. Let's watch our mouths but let's make sure we also watch the mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.